A welcome to you all. Praise the Lord. I'd like to give you a welcome to. I'm Brother Brian. And uh, welcome to all of you who are joining with us on Living Word Live. Let's look to the Lord. Oh, Father God, we need you this morning and we look to you. We know that you are our, our source and we recognize that about you, Lord. We recognize that we need you. Oh, Jesus, we recognize that you are the vine and we are the branches. Oh, God, we could do nothing without you. And we ask for your grace this morning for me to share the word and for my brothers and sisters to receive the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles, as is my habit. I like to start right off with a scripture. Amen. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. First Timothy 3.15. Be patient with me if it takes me a little while to find a verse in my Bible. First Timothy 3.15 says this. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground and ground of the truth. I'd like to focus in on that description of the church of the Lord, called the house of the Lord. This morning I'll call the church by several different names, the church, the body of Christ, I'll call it the body of Christ. And it's the house of the Lord. The Apostle Paul knew very well about the temple in Jerusalem, but he had begun traveling from city to city, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and starting churches. And he came to understand, after Jesus died on the cross and the veil inside the temple was torn, that the temple of God was no longer one building on a mountaintop where you could go and meet with God, but every believer became the temple of God and every collection of believers called a church became the temple of the Lord. And here Timothy is exhorted to behave himself correctly in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Being a pillar and ground of the truth is both an easy thing to do and a hard thing to do. Uh, Easy and hard for a church to live up to. Easy first. I mean, how hard is it to read the Bible? Just read the Bible, follow the Bible. It's not rocket science. It's not that big of a book, especially if you just zero in on the New Testament It's not that big of a book. It's, for the most part, not that hard to understand. I'll admit, there are some portions of the Bible, including the New Testament, that are pretty challenging to understand. But, you know, if you sort of glossed over all those difficult parts and just based your life on the parts you're sure about and that you know you could understand, you've got quite a chore right there. It's not that hard to understand. And a lot of people and a lot of churches have done pretty well understanding the Bible. 
That's the easy part. The harder part is living it and how to live it. How to turn this book that you understand fairly well into a life. That's the harder part. And quite a few churches have done pretty badly at that. And that's quite a bit more challenging to be the pillar and the ground of the truth is both easy and difficult. In some ways easy and in some ways difficult. Whether it's easy or it's difficult, it's the business of the church to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. It says here that thou mayest know how, to, how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So, as I mentioned already, the house of God now in this uh, church age is not a building. We have a building here. We're meeting in a building, but the, and we call the building the church. It's one meaning of the English word church, but when you're talking about the New Testament, the word church is not referring to a building at all. So we don't want to do this. I'll behave myself when I'm in the building, and then as soon as I walk out the door of the building, I can behave any way I want. Uh, That's not the idea, is it? It, What it's asking us and asking Timothy to do is to learn how to behave himself when he's a member of this group of people called a church. And this morning, I will talk primarily about being a member of the church. The church is a place, it's actually a group of people where the Bible gospel and personal truth are found. It's the book and you. The book and you. The book and you. Know the truth about Jesus and what the book says, and the truth will set you free. Praise God. Where? In the church. Not in the building, but in the group. As you are a member of the group. Now, at Living Word Church, you might be a little sensitive when I talk about being a member of the church because you've heard that we're contemplating somehow formalizing our membership in the church. And uh, there are some um, reasons to do that in our day and age. But I'm actually not going to talk about that at all this morning. That's not where I'm going with this. We need the church. Christians are not called to be do-it-yourself followers of Christ, DIY followers of Christ. We need the church. The church is not only an encouraging place, although it, it, it is an encouraging place and it will be an encouraging place. It doesn't exist to make you feel good, although it will make you feel good very often. Praise God, I'm, I pray that you'll be glad that you go to church. It exists actually to elevate the truth. Like a pillar elevates a building. It exists to ground 
the truth. Like a foundation grounds a building to bedrock. God does not intend for his people's lives to float in the wind. To blow here and there. God intends that we find a home in the church, in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is people. And as soon as you say that, you've got to realize it's not going to be perfect. Because people are not perfect. But God wants us to find truth in this imperfection. Because his home, his church, elevates Jesus and grounds our personal lives in Jesus. So we're not only going to go to church to be encouraged, to be comforted. We're going to go to church to have a a meeting with the truth. And the truth is going to include Jesus Christ dying for our sins, our sins being washed away, the resurrection promising us new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, all comforting and encouraging blessings to hear about. The truth is going to encourage us and comfort us, but the truth can also challenge us. I'm going to talk to you this morning about what membership in the church will do for you. Before I start talking about what membership in the church will do for you, let me talk a little bit about what, it, what is required to be a member of the church. How do you become a member of the church? You have to do something, and God has to do something. It's very interesting, because it's not only up to you, it's also up to God. You will do something, and God will do something. You must believe in Jesus and make a commitment to obeying Jesus. No longer going your own way of life and doing what you want to do, but doing what Jesus wants you to do, following his commandments. That's your part. That's what you'll do. Make a commitment to following Jesus because you believe in him. What's God going to do? Because God has to do something too. God has to give you new life and vitality Give it to your soul and your spirit. That's what God does. We call that being born again. God's spirit gives you new vitality in your soul and in your spirit. A new heart, the Bible calls it. God does that. You can't do that for yourself. You can't simply decide and bingo, it happens. You need to decide But then God needs to go into action. And we're going to have faith that God will do that. Okay, back to the question. What will membership in the church do for you? It will bring you into a confrontation with the truth. It will put the... Being a member of the church will bring the truth right in front of you. And in today's message to you, I'm going to talk about the two first expressions in the Bible of the church. The first one, the gathering of the disciples around Jesus. Jesus chose 12 disciples and they followed him from place to place 
And they spent, we think, uh, the better part of three years with him, following him, learning uh, from him, doing his bidding. He was their leader. It was, in a, a rough sense of the word, a simple little church. I think there were more than 12 uh, followers. There were certainly a number of ladies that also followed Christ from place to place. But let's just talk about this little gathering of disciples around Jesus as a, what you might call a primitive church. The other church I'd like to talk to you about is more of like a, a church proper. It is uh, the gathering of saints in a particular city, the very first one in Jerusalem, the Church of Jerusalem. So I'm going to talk to you about those two churches. The little uh, group of followers of Jesus as the first little baby church, in a sense, and the first church proper, the Church of Jerusalem. Can we go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17? And see how Jesus began to form this little church, this group of followers. A church is a group of followers of Christ. Okay, chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter... And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately... They immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Here we have Jesus beginning to collect his disciples around him. Here are four of them. Matthew gives us the short version of the story. We can study the events that led up to their decision here. They made a decision to leave their occupations as fishermen to leave their homes in the Galilee area and to follow Jesus Christ and his teachings to obey Jesus wherever he would lead them. Uh, quite a few things led up to this, but let's, take, let's just work with Matthew's short version here. The... Uh, we can, we can rightly, I think, call them a little church because the church are those who leave their situations of unbelief and they become followers of Jesus in belief. Peter, for instance, made a commitment. It was a very different commitment than what he was used to. It represented an enormous change in his life. He had a livelihood. Let's give Peter some credit for being a fisherman. Let's, let's uh, just imagine that as much, giving him as much credit as a fisherman as we possibly can. Now, maybe he was a lousy fisherman and a lousy businessman, and maybe he didn't do very well at it, but no, let's not, let's, instead of imagining that, let's imagine he was top shelf fisherman. He could catch fish. 
He could pilot a boat in any weather conditions. He could predict the weather. He could take care of his equipment, his nets and his floats and his other equipment. He could go to the fish market and negotiate a top price for his fish. He could manage his teams. He would work hard at it every day. He would watch his spending and so that he would have a successful business that was in the black instead of in the red. Sounds like a good fisherman. But I will tell you, even if he was all of that, when he decided, if he was all of that, that was mere child's play compared to what his life would be like when he joined the little band of Jesus followers. That if he was t- the, the best fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, it was child's play compared to what Jesus was calling him to. Go to Matthew 16, if you would. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Well, Peter was trying to say something affirming, affectionate, high value, expressing high value for Jesus. He was trying to elevate Jesus in his own estimation. And Jesus turns and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You're way off base. You're wrong. You're dead wrong. You're trying to say something nice to me. You're an offense to me in doing that. Oh, gee, thanks, Lord. I was trying to say something nice. As a fisherman, Peter, in the first place, was probably not even going to try to say something nice and affirming to a rabbi let alone get called Satan for doing it. He could pilot a boat. He could take care of his equipment. He could negotiate good prices for fish at the market. But what is going on here? Welcome to life in the church. You believers have uh, multitudes of unbelievers that you have different kinds of relationships with you. Some of them are at work. Some of them may be at the doctor's office. Some of them may be in your neighborhood or they might be your, your blood family. All of these people are going to wish you well. 
in this sense, they all want you to have a longer life. Unless they're really messed up, have murderous hearts, but that's not the typical person. The typical unbeliever wants you to have a longer life. They would wish for you to eke out, if possible, even one additional day to your life. They'll also wish for you another dollar. They'll wish for you a little more fun. But that's not where the priorities of the church are. Those are the groups you belong to of unbelievers. But if you belong to the church, you will be taught to give all your days to Jesus, in the service of Jesus, to live your life for him. And you will accept that it may be, it could be God's will, and in serving Jesus, it could happen that your life will be shorter rather than longer. Peter's life was shorter rather than longer because he chose to follow Jesus and be part of the church. Paul's life was shorter rather than longer. Peter's life probably enjoyed fewer dollars, not more. He goes up to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Silver and gold have I none. He probably had less, quote-unquote, fun. At least the fun that the world uh, entices us with because he decided to serve Jesus. But, but, what an adventure. What an adventure God led him on. What an adventure began when he forsook his nets and his boats and his fishing and he began as a follower of Jesus with a small group of followers. What an adventure he started in life. What a fulfilling life, praise God. Matthew 26, if you will. Verse 33. Peter answered and said to him, to Jesus, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise, also, said all the disciples. A fisherman was not called to proclaim in front of everybody his willingness to die. I'll die for you. Fishing was called a means of making a living. You call it a livelihood. You did fishing if you wanted to make a living. You didn't do fishing if you wanted to make a dying. It's called a living, not a dying. But Peter's here's on quite an adventure, and he's with this little group, and he's a member of that group, and he says, I'm willing to die. The church reminds us 
that we are to die for Christ. The church reminds us that our life is hidden in Christ. We're encouraged to crucify the flesh with its ungodly desires. We are called to stand for the truth of the gospel, not simply make a living. Matthew 26, 40. And he, this is Jesus, cometh unto them, unto, I'm sorry, unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep. We'll see in the next phrase that one of the disciples he comes to is Peter. We're following Peter a bit. Findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter. He singles out Peter. Sometimes at church you'll feel like you're being singled out. You going to be okay with that? It's part of being in a church. It's part of being a member, a committed member of the church. It's part of being a committed member of the body of Christ. Jesus points to Peter and says, Peter! What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Look, life, in life as a fisherman, you are not going to have to pray. Praying as any worldly occupation will indicate to us, a worldly occupation does not require prayer to go on. Say, brother, we should all pray as we partake of our occupations. Oh, absolutely, you should. You should. And you'll do better if you pursue your occupation with prayer. Every Christian should pursue your occupation with prayer. Of course, of course. Please, give me a little credit. But I'll tell you, a lot of people pursue their occupations very successfully and never pray for a moment. A lot of people do. Praying was not essential for fishing. Peter was a fisherman. Many fishermen are very good at their careers and they never pray a second. There are a lot of people who do very well in life and never pray. Some of these people are in houses You'll find them in offices, you'll find them in stores, in businesses, in fields, in streets. People who pursue their livelihoods with great zeal and success and never pray one second. But Peter is now in a situation because he has joined this group of Jesus followers. Because he's following Jesus Prayer has become essential to his success. He might have been able to do very well as a fisherman and never pray for a second. He is not going to do very well as a follower of Jesus Christ if he doesn't pray plenty. If you want to be a successful member of the church, you are going to need to have a prayer life. 
You are not going to be able to be a successful member of the church if you don't have a prayer life, if you don't pray. Peter was about to make some blunders. He was about to fail. He wasn't prayed up. He wasn't ready for it. This is the amazing adventure that our God is calling us on to be members of his church, to follow Jesus as a group. And one of the amazing and wonderful things about this call is that it is a call that requires, no question about it, prayer to succeed. I don't know if some of the richest men in this world have ever prayed one second but they were able to make savvy business decisions and make savvy connections and build a very powerful network of connections and made some good decisions. And I'm sure they'll tell you I was lucky here, I was lucky there. And uh, they could become the richest people in the world and never pray one second. Now, some people who are prayer warriors also succeed in a wonderful way in this life but there is something for which you don't stand a chance, no chance to succeed, and that is to be a member of a group of Jesus followers. You don't stand a chance of success if you don't include prayer in that endeavor. You should pray to be better at everything you do in life. That's good, that's fine, right. But there is a life that is all about prayer. It is so intertwined, it is inseparable from prayer. And that is being part of the Jesus group, the church. No prayer equals failure. When Peter was still a fisherman, he begged Jesus to leave him alone. He said, I'm a sinful man. Jesus, go away. Leave me alone. I'm a sinful man. Well, if Jesus left him alone, he could have gone right on being a sinful fisherman. But Jesus wasn't satisfied with that. He would not have been able to, and he couldn't, continue as part of the Jesus-following group. He couldn't with John and James and Andrew succeed in following Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane, in following Jesus to his place of imprisonment for the night, his, to the cross. They wouldn't have the gumption, the boldness, the courage, the faith to succeed in that pressure-cooked situation if they weren't prayed up. And likewise, you will not be a faithful member of a church, any church, this church or any other church, if you're not prayed up. Because God will bring you within the church in situations that you will face nowhere else in life. Nowhere else in life the church is different because it is God's. It is God's and God is, God's hand is on it and God is in the midst of it and it is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And this is an essential part of the Christian's life. 
Let's go to Matthew 26, 73. I'm going to read this one because of the King James word Bereath, which is totally unfamiliar to us. I'm going to read this in the New International Version. Matthew 26, 73. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. King James, Bereath thee. When was the last time you said Bereath in your regular life? Verse 74, then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now I'm going to take... I hope I don't rub you wrong here. I'm going to take a little bit different view of this. I'm going to say that this is an amazing and wonderful event in a way. Even though it is a stunning failure on the part of Peter. I'm telling you it's part of an amazing adventure that Jesus Christ called him on right to the weeping bitterly. Now, I'm sure if Peter's listening to me right now in heaven, he may shake his head and go, Brother Brian, you don't know what you're talking about. That hurt so deep. But I want to say this. How was Peter, the fisherman, ever going to find out, how was he ever going to discover what a coward he could be if he didn't join the Jesus group. And to find out what a coward you could be is an amazing and wonderful and helpful event in our lives. Because we can turn around. We could seek the Lord and get repaired. For Peter, it was not only... Peter become a follower of Jesus. It was Peter become a member of the Jesus-following group. You see what the people told him in um, verse 73? Surely you are one of them. You're one of them. You're part of that group. You're part of that Jesus-following group. They didn't say so much, oh, we know that you're a devotee of Jesus. They said, you're a member of the Jesus-following group. And that's what Peter wanted to deny. No, no, I'm not. I don't know him. I'm not part of the Jesus-following group. I want to ask you today, are you part of the Jesus-following group? Are you a member of the church? Are you a member of the body of Christ? Because this is going to, this commitment is going to really ask a lot of you. And this commitment to the body of Christ is really going to bring you into confrontations with truth that no other lifestyle, no other livelihood, no other activity on the face of the earth will bring you into. It's really good for us, it's quite an adventure. It's quite a journey. 
It's really thrilling. It's really challenging. Enlightening. Helpful to our souls. It's moving. And it's a lot of other things too, like difficult. In a time of moral failure, when Peter was being a coward, he doesn't want to identify with being in the Jesus group. You can't follow Jesus if you do not also accept being part of the Jesus group. A pretty tight group. Pretty involved with one another pretty challenging and adventurous experience. Being a member of the church is going to show you a lot of truth about yourself. It might show you where you are a coward. There's a good chance it will test your faithfulness and determination. There's a very good chance that it will test whether you have the courage to humble yourself. What an adventure. This is quite an adventure that the Lord brings us on. Being a member of the body of Christ is different than being on a job, being a member of a company or being being part of a a job or a crew, something like this, because when when you're a member of the body of Christ, you're probably not going to get paid for it. And when you're uh, a member of a company or a job or a crew, and you know, when you are working in your livelihood, there's always going to be that extra incentive to, to take stuff and keep your mouth closed in order to keep the paycheck coming. It's going to be really different than being a member of a flesh family. Because you don't choose your flesh family. They are who they are. You're stuck with them. You've got to get along. You've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with the situation. When you're a member of the body of Christ, you do so voluntarily. You volunteer for that. You choose it. And because you choose it, and because you volunteer to be a member of the body of Christ, there will always, forever, be the temptation to unchoose it. You chose it so you could unchoose it. You can't unchoose your family. It's really different being a member of the body of Christ than it is to be a member of a club. Because a club is not deep, it's trite. And the, when it comes to the church, God is there, God is involved, it's God's house. It is the body of Christ who is God. Hallelujah. So Peter denies Christ. It's a failure of courage. The question now becomes, will he have the courage to return? And that's the adventure of it. Ah, I failed. Ah, I misstepped. Ah, Jesus warned me, and I didn't pay attention. I was sleepy in prayer. I wasn't ready for it. But the wonderful thing about the adventure of being a member of 
the body of Christ, is that we get a chance to have the courage to return, the courage to turn around and get back where we belong. Without the reality of this, this group of, of Jesus' followers, we can do that shell game, that trickery, where we say, well, I got it right in my heart. I got it right in my heart. Well, when you're a member of the body of Christ and you're a member of the group of Jesus followers, getting it right in your heart is not quite enough. You got to go stand in front of somebody face to face. And that is incredibly difficult, but it is incredibly good for us. It will help us grow by leaps and bounds in the Lord. It is quite an adventure that the Lord brings us on. Hallelujah. The resurrected Christ would ask Peter an agonizing, agonizing three times, do you love me? Can you imagine him out in a ship as a fisherman throwing out his nets and the fisherman at the under, under the boat says, hey, Peter, do you love me, man? It would have to be a joke. Yeah, yeah, I love you. Just throw the net in. No, Peter, really? Do you love me? Oh, would you shut up? That's how you, that's how you do it in a fisherman's boat. But on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the Bible indicates that Peter really was troubled by being asked that question three times. And he had to, with courage and humility, say to the Lord three times, yes, I love you. That is the the wonderful kind of challenge that comes to us by being committed members of the body of Christ. The church is called to be the pillar and ground of the truth. We are to confront truth in the body of Christ as members in in the body of Christ. Peter had to face so many truths about himself that he was sinful, that sometimes he thought like Satan, that sometimes he was sleepy in prayer, that he could be a coward. But he also found that he could have faith to leave his nets. He could have faith to walk on water. He could have faith to answer some of the hardest questions posed to him to that a a man could ever hear posed to him by the most intimidating figure that ever walked on the face of the earth and he could have the courage to answer those questions humbly. What an adventure! What a mirror walking with Jesus put in front of Peter. The mirror created in large part by being a committed member in this little church Uh, this little band of close followers of Jesus. Hallelujah. If we go on in Peter's story, we can see in Acts chapters 1 through 4 that Peter's a key figure in the first, what we might call church proper. Not 
not a band of followers that Brother Brian calls a church, but really a local church in the city of Jerusalem. The very first church on the face of the earth was in Jerusalem. And in chapters 1 through 4, Peter's a key figure there, and he expresses faith and courage in many ways. Yes, he had a failure of courage, but he expresses courage in many ways after he's filled with the Holy Ghost and even before he's filled with the Holy Ghost. To wait there in the upper room with 120 Galileans to be filled with the Holy Ghost, that was faith and courage right there. They waited for days. He preached inspired sermons with boldness and sophistication. Who would have ever thought that this could come from a fisherman? But because he put down his nets and he left the life of a fisherman and he became a member of the church, he was able to preach with the boldness the anointing of the Holy Spirit and sophistication, with great understanding of the scriptures and the prophecies of the Old Testament and so on. Amazing. They were amazed to hear this unlearned Galilean fisherman talk about the word of God like that. He healed a lame man in the name of Jesus. It wasn't him and his power. It was the power of Jesus, but he had faith and and he was the one God used to heal a lame man at the gate beautiful. What an adventure! He had to defend what they did at the gate beautiful before a very intimidating council. And he did that with great boldness. These are not the tests that a fisherman faces. These are not the tests of a worldly, secular livelihood. These are the tests that may come to you. Even while you continue in your secular livelihood, these are the tests that may come to you as a member of the body of Christ. God intends you to be a member of the body of Christ. You know my life. You know how I live my life. If this, I was here since I was 17 years old in 1975. If this church was doing something, I was in. I was in on it. Building something, I swung my hammer. Thinking about something, I thought about it too. Praying about something, I prayed about it too. Arranging something, I got right in there and said, how can I help? Is, is that not my life story? Here's what I figure. That's good for everybody in Christ. When God has brought you to a church, whatever your church is doing, jump right in there. Be part of it. It's going to be good for you. I don't know if I agree with it. What if I don't know if I agree with it? It'll probably be even better for you if you don't agree with it, for you to jump in with both feet on it. Is it challenging to humble ourselves? Oh, yes, it is. Does it take courage to do some things differently? Oh, it does. A fisherman, even if he believes some stuff that Jesus says. There's always room for the fisherman to say, 
You know, um, are the words of Jesus really true? Are we really supposed to follow everything he says? Oh, maybe some of it. I kind of like some of it. I'm intrigued by what Jesus has said. In fact, if he was running for president and if he happened to be in the correct political party, I might vote for him. Jesus is intriguing. Do I really believe everything he said, though? If you're just a fisherman, you can wonder all you want. But if you're a follower of Christ, you stop treating the teachings of Jesus as intriguing and you start treating them for what they are, truth. Truth. I'll uh, look at one more example from the life of Peter, where Peter is a very important figure and truth is definitely the issue and the church is practicing being a pillar and ground of the truth. Will you turn to Acts chapter 5? Acts 5. Peter is there. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Hope you understand that. They had a piece of property that they sold and they bring part of the proceeds and lay it at the apostles' feet at the church of Jerusalem. Verse 3 says, And Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all of them that heard these things. Peter intensely pursues not money. Be careful that you don't misunderstand this. Peter pursues intensely not money, but truth. The church must be a place of truth. That's what Peter learned from just about the first day that he joined a little band of Jesus followers. You might say the church in seed form. That his life was going to be a confrontation ever since then. His life was going to be a, include a confrontation about truth. Truth about himself. The church must be a place of truth, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now just to explain, apparently Ananias and his wife created a lie about their donation to the church. We never learn the exact lie, except that they claim to be giving all the proceeds from the sale of a piece of property, but they are actually only giving part of the proceeds They were creating a false impression in the church. I'm thinking that they probably made a big deal about what they were doing. 
They probably, you know, uh, beat the drums and blew the trumpets about what they were doing, but what they were actually doing was much less than what they said they were doing. Now, I'll, I'll say this. I've got to believe that they could give whatever they wanted to give. They could hold back whatever they wanted to hold back. They were not some, for some reason required to give the full proceeds of the sale to the church. I don't believe that they would be required to give the full proceeds. What they were required to do was follow through on what they said they were going to do. The issue wasn't the amount of money. The issue wasn't can't you do with your money what you want to do? Yes, you can. The issue was honesty. That is the only issue that Peter brings up with them. Why does Peter jump all over this? Why are the consequences so extreme? Because this is the first church on the face of the planet. Where were they going if they were going to be founded in lies? Half-truths? Stories? How could it be God's dwelling place if they were going to go forward with lies? Half-truths? Deceptions in the name of it's none of your business? Wait a minute, Peter. Wait a minute, Mr. Peter. What business is of yours what I do with my money? I think the answer would be, it's none of my business. What's my business is that you said you were going to do A, but you really did B. You lied. Oh, we can't have a church of lies. Where are we going if we have lies, half-truths? Even if it's in the name of, that's my business. The church can't be built on lies. Peter learned something in the three years he walked with Jesus and he was a member of the Jesus group. He learned that truth is essential and now he's going to teach the church. Now that he's a leader in the church in Acts chapter 5, he's going to teach the church that we have to go forward with honesty and openness, no hiding. If you're hiding, you may be dead already. When did Ananias die? When he dropped dead and his heart stopped beating? I think he dropped dead spiritually before he even walked into the room. In Acts chapter 5, verse 11, you can look forward there, that this group of people in Jerusalem is called the church. They are really the church because they are the pillar and ground of the truth. Both the truth of the gospel and the truth about themselves. The church is not just a group that stands in front of a man who says the truth of the word of God. The church is also a group of people who embrace truth in our lives and allow truth to have its way in our lives, who realize that life in the church is going to bring challenges. And and honestly... Embrace it. Embrace it. Just embrace the, embrace the adventure. How exciting to be challenged to grow, to see ourselves. The failures hurt, but on the other side of the failure is repentance and growth. Who doesn't want that? 
Can I hear an amen? I don't know, sometimes I talk crazy. Does Peter know what he's doing here in Acts chapter 5? He does, but not because he's perfect. He does, but not because of his track record. He knows what he's doing because it's the only way of doing it. It's the only way of having church. To be followers of Christ, we must be part of the group called the church, and we must accept the revelations of truth and membership in the church that membership in the church will create. We're phonies unless we're members. We too might spiritually drop dead. People might feel that membership in the church comes with too many pressures, too tedious, it's hurtful, too restrictive. That's actually the point. That's where the really good stuff happens to us. In the pressure cooker. In the tedium. I found out a long time ago when some things about being a member of the body of Christ get old, that's the time when I change. When I improve. Because you press through. And the refreshing comes. It can be hurtful. That's the point. These are the things that God has attended for us so we can learn to live with the truth. The same as God did not intend for Peter to just eke out a livelihood in his little boat all by himself or with his hands-picked crew. He was instead going to be part of the Jesus group in the Jesus boat. And he wasn't going to get to pick them. Jesus was going to pick them. And he was going to have year after year, a confrontation with truth that was going to improve him and and enable him as a good minister of the gospel and as a good leader of this group, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. I pray that this word gives you something to think about, that you think about it prayerfully, that you make decisions accordingly, that you get in, And let's all turn our hearts toward Jesus and pray. Oh, Father God, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, thank you for what you did in Peter's life, for for persevering in his life, for persevering in ours. It gives us faith and hope for ourselves, as faulted as we are. Oh, God, let us together, work together, and in unity to make this local congregation, a pillar and a ground of the truth, according to your will, in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a nice day. The church will rejoin tonight at 734 prayer night. Praise God.